On this edition of the Scott Radley Show, we're going to talk about free because the Federal Minister of Health, while trying to, in a cute way, lure Kawhi Leonard to stay in Canada, offered him a bit of our free health care. We're going to talk about whether or not Canada's health care is really free. Hint, it's not. Then we're going to be chatting about financial literacy because, thankfully, the Ontario government is introducing as part of the curriculum financial literacy students in grade 10 are going to learn about money, which is about darn time. And then we will answer the question with Bubba O'Neill. Does the NHL have a lack of celebrity problem? Do they need to do something to make their players more famous? All that coming up here on the Scott Radley Show podcast. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. I, I try, when I'm on my, especially when I'm on time off, when I'm on a long weekend or something, I try to not go on social media. I try to not bother with Twitter and Facebook and all that kind of stuff. Because what happens is what happened this weekend when a politician, a federal politician, decided to go on Twitter, thinking I think thinking she was going to be really funny, really cute, really making some points with the constituents. Instead, let me tell you what she said. This is by Jeanette Petipa-Taylor, who is the Minister of Health for Canada, the Federal Minister of Health. And she decided that she was going to get in on the, hey, Kawhi Leonard, please stay in Toronto act. And so she's got a picture of herself holding up a We the Champs Raptors sweatshirt. That's all fine. That's all good. Nothing wrong with a politician being a human as well. They want Kawhi Leonard to stay. That that part, totally fine. We're all good with that. It's what she wrote that got the blood boiling. Again, from Jeanette Pettipa-Taylor, I see lots of businesses, this is her tweet, I see lots of businesses offering Kawhi Leonard free food, an apartment, even a house plant if he stays with the Raptors. So I feel I should do my part. And what is her part? Hey, Kawhi, if you stay, we'll give you free health care. Free health care is what our Minister of Health is offering. Free health care. You know, this is one of those things that gets bandied around in this country a lot. Oh, Canadians have free health care. Free health care. And I expect this maybe from the average person. I, I, I can understand this from someone who is just Joe Blow or Josephine Blow. Is that the opposite of Joe Blow? I don't know, the female version. I get all that. But this is the Minister of Health. And this, the idea of politicians trumpeting free anything, let alone free health care, makes, for anyone who's a taxpayer, should make you go goofy, which it did for me this weekend, because there is absolutely nothing free about our health care. Nothing. Zero. Our health care is the furthest thing from free you can possibly imagine. And if you don't believe me, in 2017, there was a report that was put out which says that the, uh, the total tax bill, the total cost for Canadians to operate our health care system. Now, I'm not arguing about whether our health care system is good or bad. I'm not, uh, I'm not arguing whether or not it's a preferable system to the states. Probably in both cases, you would say, yeah, it's, you know, it's a pretty good system. And most of us, I think, like the idea that you can go up to a hospital and get your, 
whatever taken care of. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to have had great insurance. You can get looked after. That That's not what this discussion is about. It's a politician standing up, trumpeting the freeness of our system. 2017, the report said, it cost Canadians $148 billion, with a B, $148 billion to operate our free health care. It's not free. Figure the money out a little further. If you are a family with two parents and two children, this works out to, give or take, but roughly $12,000 a year in taxes if you are if you are making over $60,000 as a household. If you're making $60,000, $12,000 is going to health care. That's what this report would say. That is not free. And, you know, this goes back... Politicians love nothing more than to tell us what we're getting for free. They love to tell us we're getting stuff for free. Remember when Kathleen Wynne promised free university education for everybody? Which, by definition, would mean that suddenly the municipalities were going to waive all their property taxes on the university. And the professors were going to work gratis. And the maintenance workers were going to go there out of the goodness of their heart. And all the other employees on a university campus were going to say, I'm here to volunteer my time as a philanthropic gesture. That's, that would be free university, but we know that is not the case. And yet we have politicians that trot this old yarn out over and over and over. That's free. Free this, free that, free pharmacare now is the thing we're going to be talking about next. It's all, it's free. You can get your drugs for free. Yeah, you, you get a, a prescription, you can go in and you get your medication for free. No, you don't. Nothing is free. We're going to come back and continue talking about this because I'm telling you, this one, every politician who ever talks about getting something for free is one of two things. They're either a moron or they're intentionally obtuse. There is no third option. You either understand that nothing is free and you're telling people a yarn, or you're really not that bright and you can't understand that it's not for free because you've grown up being told everything is free. I don't know which one this particular politician is. I'll assume it's the one who knows and just doesn't want to tell us that. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We are talking about a tweet that was put out a few days ago by the Federal Minister of Health trying to lure Kawhi Leonard to stay. He, we're, we're waiting to hear what's going to happen with Kawhi Leonard. And so the, the, the underlying intent behind her tweet, fine, it was good. You know, that's great. Let's keep Kawhi Leonard here. Nothing wrong with that. No criticism of a politician for getting involved that kind of way and saying, hey, you know what? It's a great place to be. All that kind of stuff. Good, good for her. No problems. It's the tweet itself. It's the content of the tweet that has made me a little bit wonky today. Because again, Jeanette Petipa-Taylor, I see lots of businesses offering Kawhi Leonard free food, an apartment, even a house plant if he stays with the Raptors. So I feel I should do my part. Hey, Kawhi, if you stay, we will give you free health care. And it has made me loopy because there is nothing free about our health care. And yet politicians continually trumpet this idea that somehow in this wondrous utopia of Canada, which by the way, it's a pretty good place to live. We're not 
again, we're not dumping on Canada. We're not dumping on the concept of the healthcare system. There are things that could be improved, absolutely. I think most people say, hey, I kind of like the idea of being able to walk into a hospital and get treatment. I, I, I generally think that, you know, we can have that discussion, but I think that's one that a lot of people are okay with. But it's not free. And for the federal minister of health to be touting the, hey, guess what? It's free that somehow there's this invisible pot that every night a unicorn flies over and drops unicorn poop into and it turns into gold coins that we can pay for all this health care, this $148 billion a year, and that was in 2017, so it's going to be higher than that now, that somehow this magical unicorn of health happiness comes along and we don't have to pay anything is infuriating because this is exactly why our taxes go the way they do because somehow we have people seemingly in power who don't get the concept or don't particularly care about the concept that it's not free it costs a ton of money it's a hundred and forty eight billion dollars and that was in 2017. this same report pointed out that between 1997 and 2017 again we're a couple years behind now the public health insurance increased 3.2 times as fast as the cost of food, 2.7 times as fast as the cost of clothing, 1.9 times as fast as the cost of shelter, and 1.8 times faster than the average income. So the taxes keep adding up at this rate, but it's free. It's free. Tell everybody you come to Canada, it's free. Now, here's where it gets even wonkier. Because we did have a prime minister telling people, come to Canada and just come in, telling people, immigrants and not immigrants, refugees, everyone. we have a system. And again, we can discuss the system. And we can discuss who we should and how many we should and from where we should be admitting people. That's all, again, a different discussion. But the idea that if you just bring hordes of people in that need health care, that it's free. All right, this is not a discussion about whether we should have immigrants and refugees. That's not this discussion at all. But it costs money. It costs real money that somebody has to pay, taxpayers. But clearly, many of our politicians don't seem to grasp the concept. And they're the ones who are deciding what our taxes should be to pay for this, even though some of them apparently don't understand that you have to actually pay doctors and nurses and social workers and physiotherapists and x-ray technicians and MRI technicians and on and on and on. Furthermore, to the Canadian Federal Minister of Health, who somehow is whiffing on this one and doesn't quite understand where the money comes from to pay for her ministry. I don't know what she thinks where this, she thinks this money is coming from when she sets her budget for the year of roughly $148 billion. But during the break, I guessed, I just took a wild estimate, that if Kawhi Leonard would, were to resign with the Toronto Raptors, I guessed at a $30 million a year salary. That sounds crazy. That's the going rate. That's probably low for him. He'll probably get closer to $35 million. But anyway, I put in $30 million. If If he lived in Ontario... His taxes from that $30 million, he would be taxed, according to this website, that you can calculate your taxes. I don't know how accurate it is, but I think it's pretty close. His taxes would be over $16 million. His take-home would be a little, a few dollars under $14 million. Now, no one's crying for the man. 
No one's going to be weeping for Kawhi Leonard having to live on $14 million a year and take home pay. But $16 million is not free. That's not, that is not nothing. And I just wish for once, for once, that we would hear some politicians when they're talking about stuff, not tell us it's free, not try and buy us with stuff saying it'll be free. It's not free university. It's not free pharmacare. It's not free healthcare. It's not free nothing. It all has to be paid for. So it could be universal. We can say we've got a system. You can say that you will be covered. But every single time that you say that something is free, you show yourself to either believe the people are idiots or you're an idiot. It's not free. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We're going to keep talking about money for a few minutes. It's maybe a bit of a theme today. It wasn't intended, but it seems to be turning that way. Because the Ontario government announced today that it was implementing a new curriculum that'll take effect this coming fall for high schools. And one of the topics that is going to be included in that curriculum is financial literacy. Finally, finally, students are going to be taught about money and have to think about money in a real way. This is long overdue, long, long, long overdue. Kids need to know how to budget, how to handle money, how not to overspend. Yet we have ignored this for a long time. I think most people listening either were taught this by somebody or figured it out either cleverly themselves or the hard way. But it seems like a far better idea to include it as part of the curriculum so that they learn most kids and they have some idea when they start making some money what to do with it. Uh, Not everyone, by the way, has been ignoring this. I should point this out. While this has been an ongoing battle to get this to happen, not everybody has been ignoring this. Uh, My next guest in particular has been one of the loudest voices calling for this kind of thing for a long time. You know her probably maybe best from her work saving Lakeport Brewery once upon a time. Uh, But you should also know her as the author of the book series M is for Money, which is about this very topic. Her name is Teresa Cascioli. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you, Scott. Thank you very much for having me. Well, I I don't know if you are truly responsible in some way for this, but I am going to congratulate you as if you are, because you have been singing this song for so long now, and finally, whether it's through you or some other way, but finally someone's listening. Well, I I can't take any credit for this, but I'm certainly a cheerleader for it, and I think it's a a wonderful initiative, and I think it's really a, a, a country that is uh, in, in need of this type of education. I think the, the stats sort of speak for themselves. A couple of weeks ago, Stats Canada issued um, their, their regular numbers that uh, basically showed that Canadians have $1.78 of credit that goes to credit to service debt for every dollar of disposable income. So, it's very timely. It's something we need, and we need to start with the with the leaders of tomorrow, the future future leaders, our our kids. Teresa, do you interpret that number you just gave as being just that life is a lot harder now, and that's how much you have to live and get go into debt just to get by, or is that people not understanding debt and deficit and living beyond your means and getting themselves into trouble? I think it's a little bit of both, but I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, a lack of, of knowledge and, you know, a lack of understanding 
uh, how to budget, how to uh, manage money, how to um, sort of make ends meet, if you will. Um, if there's that lack of education and lack of conversation around financial literacy, then it's just going to, the numbers are just going to keep getting worse. And it's time that we, we actually start to teach people how to uh, deal with, handle, plan with, uh, forecast their own personal expenses. And it was really interesting that in today's announcement, they, they spoke about how they want to teach high school kids how to plan for loans, for example, the student loans that they might have for their education and how they're going to budget. And, you know, that's so critical because now the kids can actually apply um, these concepts to something that's going to affect them. Because let's face it, it, you know, education isn't cheap. And if they continue their education, it's best that they know it. Uh, sooner rather than later. And as, as you know, I mean, my books, uh, and it's for money, they're for kids even younger than that. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a proponent of someone, of, of saying that somebody should learn about money when they're learning how to read and write. So the kids should learn at a very formidable age. Um, but at least we're, we're getting some traction at the high school level, at least. Were you thinking at any point that this was just not going to happen? I, I thought that it was a, a, a bit of a stretch, um, but I'm, I'm really pleased that it's becoming mandatory and it's becoming popular, uh, more popular uh, by way of the curriculum. And I think that once it, it starts getting into the curriculum, um, there'll be more conversations and word of mouth and so on and so I think it'll spread both uh, higher than edu- high, higher than high school and then also in the elementary level as well but it's got to start somewhere and I'm just happy that that's something that's going to come to our schools very soon I was I was doubtful that it was going to happen but I couldn't figure out why because if nothing else this is to me and maybe you can correct me maybe you find something that I'm missing here but this seems like a topic that is without controversy. I mean, you can, you, unlike, say, sex ed, you can put this into the curriculum, and who's going to be upset mm-hmm. by this? No, I think, I think uh, there was a bit of a movement. I think even, even the young adults that were, you know, either in college or university, they were sort of complaining that we don't know how to do taxes. We don't understand taxes. We don't understand how to budget. We don't want to be in the situation that we're in, but we need to be taught how to manage. It's we take it for granted, but it's if you if you manage your finances and and you have some understanding about money, you kind of take for granted that everybody knows. And um, it's it's interesting that. I think that the, the students themselves and, and young people themselves ha- have spoken, and I've been a proponent of this for some time, but, you know, I think that in, 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 to- in total, uh, the word has gotten out there, and, and I think it's a, it's, it is something that people aren't calling controversial. They think it's necessary, just like reading and writing. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. 
chatting with Teresa Cascioli, who uh, you know her, very successful businesswoman, who's also behind the M is for Money book series, which has been arguing, lobbying, trying to help kids to get financial literacy long before they get out into the workplace. Well, finally, the province of Ontario has announced today that high school students in grade 10 will begin having financial literacy as part of their curriculum. And Teresa, just before the break, and this is going to seem like a very weird segue of sorts, um, but I was mentioning that the you know there's no controversy in teaching financial literacy, unlike in sex ed. But if we are talking about the sex ed course, there is you're teaching this in school because a there's lots of bad information that we want to correct with kids. Uh, two, not knowing it could be harmful to you, and three, everyone is eventually going to be involved in it. Those three reasons why you would teach sex ed, if you just change sex ed to money, are the exact same reasons that you would want money being taught. Well, yes, and even more so um, in that it has such impact on everything you do. Um, you know, uh, kids that have school loans and and um, and then eventually go out and, and have a career and have to negotiate some sort of salary or, um, you know, it affects your entire life on a regular basis uh, in everything you do um, from the time you're, you know, able to earn income to, uh, you know, how you start a family and, and so on. So it affects every aspect of your life. And if we can give children the tools to make the right decisions at a young age, then it sets them off to a, a really good financial future. And if that happens, they become good entrepreneurs, they become good employers, they become good contributors to society, they create jobs, they, they, they secure our future. Uh, and how they manage the country's money, too. Well, you know, last segment we were just chatting about politicians talking about how things are free when we know they're really not. Maybe they'll become good politicians someday as well if they understand how <laughs> money works. Um, does any of this, do you believe, the hesitation up to this point, come from the fact that money is a dirty topic for some people because some have it and some don't? Is it, and it, it, you know, we don't really want to make the people feel badly in class who don't have as much money. Do you think there's anything behind that? I don't think so. I, I, I really think it, it is uh, a genuine attempt at uh, teaching young people uh, how to manage money, especially in light of the fact that many of them have to manage school loans more and more. You know, when I went to school, I had my part-time jobs and summer jobs, and I was able to save enough to, to go to school at McMaster at, in my home. Now, you know, education is, is, is a little more expensive. If you have to live in residence, oh, there's a lot of students that have to get loans, and they just don't know how to manage uh, either their repayment or even to manage the loans that they're given. So I think it's good that they're teaching them how to manage the, the money before they have to use it. And wouldn't that be a novel idea even for people who are getting mortgages and people that have no idea uh, what they're getting into. Wouldn't it be great if they had that education as well before they, they got into some bigger debt numbers? And so, as I say, I think it's really out of necessity, out of um, you know, knowing that, that in the end there's a good chance that these students will end up getting loans um, and will end up having to manage money very soon after high school. Uh, so I'm just hopeful that, 
it, it, this is a successful uh, initiative and that um, the teachers are, are taught as well how to, how to teach young people about money because there's a bit of a science to that as well and that it translates into the younger uh, generation as well, even younger than, than high school. We only have about a minute left here, but there's a second part of this curriculum that I think is interesting as well, and that is they're going to be teaching about monetizable skills, uh, which I think, if I'm understanding this, it will tell kids, you know what, if you go to university and here, take the, this and this and this and this, these are jobs that might actually make you a living when you graduate, as opposed to taking basket weaving or whatever else. Is that a good thing as well? I think so. I think no matter what you do, whether you become an engineer, a doctor, uh, uh, you know, uh, a business person, uh, you, you, you know, money affects all careers. Money affects all disciplines. So having some knowledge in financial literacy is helpful no matter what you take. So, so you, uh, may, you may still want to go and take a degree in philosophy and a few people may come out of that or maybe more than a few and get a job, but know going into it what your chances are. Exactly. And also, you know, how it affects you. I mean, just because you take psychology, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to be impacted by money. That money isn't going to be something you have to negotiate either with clients or your own salary. In the end, you're going to be affected as well. We all are. That is Teresa Cascioli, as I say. Uh, she has long, long, long fought for this. And uh, as uh, I think somewhere, someone listened to you somehow. But, you know, let's hope so. I, I, I hope so. And I, and I really wish the uh, students lots of luck because I think, uh, you know, they might end up enjoying the fact that they don't have debt or they, mm. they can manage it and they understand it. It's not a scary thing anymore if you, get, if, if you have some education around it. Always love having you on. Thanks for the time today. Thank you. Again, that is Teresa Cascioli. Uh, M is for money. Go look that up if you want. Uh, if you have kids even younger than grade 10 and you want to introduce them to some financial literacy issues, she's got a series of books that you can look up. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Because it's Tuesday, not Monday. Because Don Robertson isn't with us today because, well, he's usually with us Monday. But there is so much stuff going on in the world of sports, I thought it is time for an early week appearance of our buddy Bubba O'Neill. Sir, how are you tonight? Remember that Don Robertson? He stole my spot. Well, y- yes and no. <laughs> yes and no. You also became a weatherman, and, um, <laughs> you know, things change. Uh, listen, we got so many things I want to talk to you about because it has been a jammed weekend. Boy, you know... The NBA and NHL are not connected in any way, shape, or form, other than the fact that Gary Bettman used to be the deputy commissioner over there and then moved to the NHL. But it's almost as if they are, based on the fact that their draft is one after the next, the next day, and their free agency is one after the next, and their playoffs are basically the same time. You would almost think the two of them are working in cahoots, but boy, it makes for a busy time. That absolutely did. I mean, what a what an incredible time! And one night, it's the NBA taking the spotlight, uh, as you said, with the draft, and then the NHL's turn. But you know what? Remember, these sports we've been watching them for the better part of nine months. So, uh, I think let's get this business over. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that are working in the hockey and basketball business that you know probably are looking forward to having a break. So I think the faster they get this stuff over, I think the happier everyone will be. I'll say this for the NHL free agency, which started yesterday, because I mean, they're paying out big money. Guys are getting 40, 50, 60 million dollar contracts. 
But the day after the NF, uh, the NBA free agency opens, 50 million bucks is like chump change. It, I mean, it looks so small. The, the NBA, I really believe, Bubba, yesterday watcher, or the day before watching a little bit of the NBA free agency thing, as much as I believe players should get what they can get, because otherwise the money is just going into the owner's pockets, these now are numbers that are absurd. They really are absurd numbers. You know, I think at first thought, that's probably what you'd like to believe. But the economics of the sport and sports are are so different than one they used to be just 10 years ago. And I think when you're looking at basketball, there's always the reminder that at the end of the day, a team nearly is is probably paying 15 players. At, at the absolute maximum. And only and, about five, and five starters who make big money. Sure, and five of the starters are making unbelievable money, and in some cases, three of them are making, you know, max money, what they call. Whereas you're looking at hockey, you're looking at a 23-man roster. Of course, in the CFL, what is it, 53? I think it's the same in the NFL. Uh, you know, it's probably a little bit more. So the money is spread much thinner in, in the NBA, so meaning the stars, which is a star-driven league, are going to make massive amounts of money. And the way the TV contracts are, the, this money has been inflated over the years, and the players are no dummies like they are that they used to be anymore. They, I, I they get, control this. They, they, I mean, the CBA has them making over 50% of the money in, in, in that league. You are 100% right on everything you just said. It just is when you start hearing about guys... Jamal Murray, for example, that comes to mind, who is a he's a Canadian guy. He's a, apparently he's a good guy. He's a good player, but making what is it? You make a hundred and eighty million, hundred and seventy million dollar contract for four years, for five years. He's making more money than any any other Canadian in sport ever, ever. And the number is there's no way around it. The number is absurd. And I, I again, I get why they're making that kind of money, but boy, you know, there is a part of me that says. I really wish that everybody would take 10 steps back and make prices affordable for tickets and all the rest. And we know that's never going to happen. I'm not, I'm not naive, but boy, I, it, it, the numbers just blow your brains apart right now. They really do. But I, you know, I struggle a little bit that with though, Scott. I mean, I, I mean, I know, like you said, no, no one's naive enough to think that they'll, you know, yeah, the what tickets will be cheaper. Or, I mean, I don't know what else you can do. Oh, I don't I mean, know what, either. Like, what, does the, you know, does, does the money, all that money, of filling, you know, twenty thousand seat stadiums, go to the owners? And that's my point. It's going to go to the owner or the player. So I understand why the players are getting their cut. I absolutely understand that. That's not the issue. I just wish everybody could say, "Hey, how about instead of a four hundred dollar ticket?" We make it a $50 top ticket and we bring everything down and players can still make loads of money and owners, but they're never going to do that. I understand that. I mean, those days are long past. I don't know. There is coming a day. I still, we've talked about this before. I do believe there may come a day when the bottom may fall out of these leagues and they do have to almost start over. I don't, I don't know when that may happen, but it, it can't continue like this. I don't think, can it? Of course it will. I mean, it, it has for the last 20 years. At 25 years since the since the advent of free agency in most of these sports, the salaries rise. So does the amount of money that the 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 owners make. And in in most cases, in most leagues, we've seen more games added to the schedule. But that's and, always and, and, based and, on TV. It's always based on TV money. And if and we keep hearing that people are cutting the cord and the TV. If TV falls off a bit, 
There's no way they can continue to go up in the money, can they? No, because TV, here's the thing with sports and TV, and why, you know what, for the most part, I'm not going to say sports is keeping television alive nowadays, but in many cases, in some cases it is. And here's the reason why, Scott. Sports has now become the only appointment viewing that there is on conventional TV. Right? That's the only thing that people run to the TV for now. Because no one, you know, as much as I'd, I, I, I would love for people to be running to the, you know, to CCH News at 6 o'clock, there are other ways to gather your news, whether sure. it be through your phone, whether it be through the newspaper. Or you can PVR. Be, you can PVR you, it at 6 o'clock. It, or you can just get it off your phone whenever you want. But you can't get a game whenever you want. So that is the one thing that TV will continue to pay. And if it's not on conventional TV, it will be on a digital service, which will have to pay the, the same enormous price as it is to, to, you know, to, sub, you know, to basically um, satisfy your viewers' needs. So this is something that, I, again, sports is the one foolproof for TV. Yeah, and uh, here's the thing, again, uh, understanding how the system works. I, ha- I don't have, uh, while the numbers are crazy, I don't have as much of an issue if it's, say, LeBron James, because you know that LeBron James sells tickets. He moves TV numbers, all that kind of thing. It's so many of the guys who are the way down the pecking order that, it, honestly, Bobby, you and I both know, sometimes some of these guys are making now money and even their mothers and brothers and sisters are buying tickets to go see them. They, they couldn't care less. And it's like, wow, I, I get the LeBron thing. I get the Kevin Durant thing. Some of these guys though, it's, it's tough. Anyway, there's the, so you get, so get the NBA, we got the NBA with this crazy money, but here's the other thing. So the NHL starts its free agency the next day and the number one guy on almost everybody's free agency board, the target that everybody wants is Artemi Panarin. If you were driving your car down Main Street and Artemi Panarin crossed the street and you ran him over and you went out to help him and he was lying on the ground, would you know you had just run over Artemi Panarin? For most people, no. I mean, obviously I know because I, I mean, that's my, what I'm paid to know. But, but I understand your point. Um, but you know what? His agent would tell you otherwise, right? And if you look at his point production through, I think, the first four years of his career, four or five years of his career in the National Hockey League, um, his, based on the free, the free agent market and based on the, you know, basically a free enterprise system, he, that's, what he's, that's what he's worth. Oh, he's a great player. There's no question he's a great player. Just and, like- and, and, and there's more, more for him. Like he, we've seen, we're seeing the growth of him right now. I'm looking at the picture. There's a picture that was online today of Artemi Panarin standing outside Madison Square Garden posing for a picture. One of the, and there is not a single person coming up to him because nobody, if you take the Panarin shirt off his back, so you don't have his name on there, nobody would know who this guy is. And I wonder if part of the problem the NHL has, in addition to when you're talking about comparison with NBA and stuff, if they have a severe, I think the NHL has a severe celebrity crisis. There are, there are very, very few NHL players that the average person in Canada or the States would recognize outside their uniform. Very few. But I think that's just the nature of the two sports in a comparison. Uh, you know, and I've had discussions with other people about this, that hockey still has a element of we don't do that in this league. 
um, we don't sell ourselves that way. True. We don't want to stand out from the crowd um, as others do in other sports. And that is the culture that has been set by, uh, dare I say, Don Cherry and others that not, and I'm just pointing at him. Well, for a hundred years. Right? For th- that, that this is the way we do it in this sport. Um, we, what is he, what is Don Cherry? And again, I'm picking on him a little bit here. What does he do in the beginning of his coach's corner segment every time he shows guys walking out in suits? Well, you could look at the NBA and I'll use this as an, as an example. And there are guys wearing, you know what? They're not, maybe not wearing suits. Sometimes they do, but they could also be walking out wearing a, a $6,000 Versace t-shirt, right? It's a different type of fashion statement that's being projected by these players in that league compared to the National Hockey League. And the way I see it here as someone that's sort of in the middle age sort of thing, and I see both sides, both arguments to what's cool and what's not cool. And I think what's important to notice is that, or at least point out, is that the younger audience and that's who you need to attract we saw many many years to switching gears for a second where the cfl did not take care of a young generation of fans and many of them flipped over to the national football league because it was deemed as cooler i think we're seeing that comparing the nba to the nhl i think our a lot of the kids that are out there that are supporting like the ones that are in jurassic park they identify with the star power of many players in the league, Russell Westbrook, the types of music that they listen to, the clothes that they put on their bodies, and the fact that basketball overall is, is just a lot cooler than hockey is, Scott. I, uh, do you own any $6,000 Versace t-shirts? I don't, but I, there are a lot of players in that league that do. <laughs> I can't know? believe there's a $6,000 t-shirt. You know I, mean? I got to get into the t-shirt business you know, if that's the, the case. $1,000 Gucci belts. I mean, I could go on and on, you know, the, about the different types of clothing that, that you know what? It's a, it, I look at the NHL guys and I think, okay, right now, of the guys who are in the league right now, right. and I'm talking, I won't even go south of the border. I'll just stick in Canada where we like to believe we really know the game. Uh, I'm trying to think what players could walk down the street in Hamilton and people would say, that's that guy. Uh, P.K. Subban, Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid probably, although Connor McDavid is kind of an average-looking guy, quite honestly. Um, I don't know who else. There's, the, there's fact, m- the, the fact that you're struggling yes. to do that, it does not tell you something? Well, sure it is. But right. but then now it helps if you're in the NBA because you've got guys who are seven feet tall and six foot nine. They do tend to stand out a little bit before they even begin. But let's take a if you had Kyle Lowry, who is an average height guy. What is he six one, six two, something mm-hmm. like that? Yep. You have Kyle Lowry walk down Main Street right now in Hamilton. Seventy five percent of people are going to go. That's Kyle Lowry, and he, even and even if they don't spot him first, and someone else goes, that's Kyle Lowry. No one's going to have to say which one is he. They're going to yes. know exactly which know one exactly he is. Who he is? Yes, and that's right. now it, it. has something to do with the equipment, the helmet, the visor, all the rest of the stuff. I get that. No, Scott, I think it's got nothing to do with it. Well, because, no, because you could take people in the National Football League, and they're way and they're way more. I mean, they're wearing the same. They're covered up the same way hockey players are. And they're, they're, they're still seen as more identifiable, cooler, if you want to use the word, than players in hockey. It's the culture that is holding down. Because here's an I think I don't know if we've talked about this before on radio. Why do you have a guy like Austin Matthews who wants to be different? And I don't know if that's because he's American or not. 
What did he do at the beginning of last season? He went out and did that GQ shoot and then did another magazine as well, too. And that was very frowned upon by people in the hockey business. As a guy being an individual, again, we don't do that in, in this league. That's not part of hockey culture. And, and he's been very adamant in saying, I want to be different. But yet, it's a constant battle back. And there are people within the league that he plays with that, that, that I saw quotes that I read that I was shocked by, you know, of players of the same age group that were saying, well, I wouldn't do that. Are you kidding me? I wonder if, I wonder if, culture. if a guy like that or P.K. Subban, who's another guy who's done things like that, or Henrik Lundqvist, who's done those kind of things, I wonder if those guys had, had a huge surge in their endorsements or salary as a result if that would have changed people's minds because they have i mean maybe they've got some endorsements but because of the salary cap they never i I think some of them do pk suban is is definitely a more marketable athlete in that sport than than many of the others right uh henrik lundquist now henrik lundquist lucks out because he's in new york city where he can be a fashion plate he can be you know in modeling shows as he has been numerous times on the cover of magazines and it's accepted because oh it's new york city yeah like sean avery did for a while but 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 tell me and going back to pk Subban, a very a guy that's very individualistic in his name and someone that believes in building his brand uh, as the subinator or whatever he likes to call himself but you also wonder why is that guy played on three teams in the last five or six years because there's a belief that I'm hearing from many people on the inside of the sport that there are players on the team and people in management on each one of those teams that he's, that he's played off, for the two teams that he's played for, that maybe aren't in love with him being as outward and, again, a guy that likes to market his own Well, brand. certainly Montreal. I, I'm not sure he got traded from Nashville because of that. They, they had salary cap problems, but certainly Montreal, that was the story behind it. Yeah, they had sure. salary cap problems, but come on, you're going to trade a P.K. Subban for what they got? That was, a, that was a, I mean, yeah, it was a salary dump, but come on. Before we go, one last thing, and we'll move along here. Uh, lots of people buzzing today about what the Leafs did. It's been talked about on this station, and it's been talked about everywhere with the Nazem Kadri trade. and everything. Is Kyle Dubas a kid genius, or are we a year from now, or Leaf fans a year from now, when the entire defense needs to be re-signed and everything else is happening, <laughs> are we going to say... That guy's a, what a dingbat move that was. He got a year out of it, but then it was a mess. Is he, is he the guy, or is he just putting off his problems? I think what we've seen for now, what has been done, is he, as a GM, this is now his team. He has rid, sure. the, team, he has rid the team of Mike Babcock favorites. Connor Brown, um, Ron Hainsey, a huge favorite of, of the head coach. This is now his team, and I think they are in a a salary cap situation where this team basically kind of has to go for for it for this year and the next year. Now, I like the players that they've acquired. Uh, Barry, right-hand shot defenseman. Cody Ceci, a guy that finally can get an opportunity to prove himself on, on a good team as opposed to a lousy team. Um, I think some of these acquisitions, you, you, I think he needed that veteran player. I mean, heck, $700,000 for Spezza? I'll take a gamble on that. It's better than the 6.5 that you're paying Marlowe and probably could get similar production. 
I like the moves that have been made so far, but I think all general managers right now have been pinned in a corner right now based on the economics of the sport, Scott. And, you know, I know we're kind of talking about and comparing them with the NBA. I'm not going to say that NHL players will make the same as the NBA, but from what it sounds to me and from what I'm reading, and in terms of the uh, players' association with the, with, with the National Hockey League, these players are seeing what the NBA players are getting are saying, we want a piece of that. Mm. Uh, you know, as I let you go, you mentioned one thing about the getting rid of Babcock's favorites. I could not help but think yesterday as I was watching, and over the last few days, some of the guys, as you just mentioned, um, um, uh, Hainsey and Marlowe and these guys that Babcock got criticized heavily for overplaying, just not Matthews not getting enough ice time, but Marlowe being on there all the time seemingly. I thought of that scene in Moneyball, and for people who have seen that movie, where they traded the first baseman just so the manager couldn't play him anymore. And I kind of think with all the trades that have been made here, it looks like Dubas went after all the guys that Babcock could not wean himself off of against his own best interests. Yeah, good point. And said, you know what? I will make it so he doesn't have those toys to play with anymore and he'll be forced to play with new toys and we'll see how he can do. Because it looks like all the guys that have ever been leading to Babcock criticism are all now gone. I mean, didn't you, I mean, obviously you just explained yourself there. Like, I, I, I thought the same thing, Scott. Like, Ron Hainsey, say what you want about the guy, former Hamilton Bulldog way back in the day. Yep. That guy was a, you know, he played in all, or at least Mike Babcock had him playing in all situations. And you know what? He chipped in some points offensively, and he ended the season fifth in the National Hockey League as a plus-30 player. And he had a very good season. In the meantime, you go and make a trade for Jake Muzzin that was your big acquisition. He arrives, Babcock says, well, it's not exactly what we wanted, but we'll make do. And then he didn't play (laughs) him all that much. And Dubas has got to be saying, wait a sec, what the heck? I just got you the guy you said you needed, and now you're playing Ron Hainsey 30 minutes a game. Again, I look at it and I almost think that Dubas and Shanahan said, all those guys that, that Babcock could not help himself from playing, we're getting rid of those guys. And then he's going to have to play the game we want. And you want to know one other thing is that people forget how angry and baying the fan base was for change at the end of last season. If Mike Babcock finds new toys that are the, you know, if suddenly, um, what's his name? Who's the center you just talked about from Dallas? Uh, Spezza. Spezza. If suddenly you see Spezza getting... 20 minutes a game instead of the <laughs> instead of the 10 maybe he should be getting you know you, we could see I don't think it'll happen but you could see them saying listen Mike we've given you everything we may see a change I don't think that I think Babcock has probably sat there and watched all of his favorite toys be marched out the door and went okay I get it he's not a dumb guy I think he this gets is, it this is why there is a belief among many of the Leafs media that you and I know very well that Mike Babcock, the, the, the clock is ticking on Mike Babcock. That's what Babcock I mean. Right now. That's what I mean. And now you don't have excuses. You've got all these new pieces. Use them, and you've got a really good team. And this thing better start out well. For Babcock, it better start well, I would think. So just quickly, what do you yeah. think about the Kadri deal? Uh, it, Sad to see him go? Uh, yes and no. I mean, his, uh, his, his point production in the playoffs wasn't great. Just wasn't playing because <laughs> he was suspended for the last two years. I, I think Barry Tyson Barry's playoff points will be higher. Um, you need you needed defense, and you need defense, and you had a luxury of so many centers. I the only thing 
that will bite them on this one, which will be Murphy's Law, is if suddenly both of their centers end up getting hurt. If Austin Matthews and, and John Tavares somehow both end up injured, suddenly you go, what did we do? Otherwise, I think you're fine. Anyway, you, quickly? I, 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 I thought, you know what, I know they're saying all the right things that, you know, you know uh, it had nothing to do with him being suspended, you know, five times, and especially the last two years in the postseason. Scott, I think it had everything to do with it. Uh, it certainly, I think, had part of it. And also, the other thing you're going to lose is a guy who can start growing his playoff beard during the warm-ups of the first playoff game and have a full beard by the first intermission. <laughs> that guy could grow a beard faster than any human being on the planet. That, that'll be That's a loss, too, just, just for the beard game. For Dazim, hopefully it's a little wake-up call because I, I, I truly believe that he thought he would be a Maple Leaf. I think so. I think so. Uh, I know someone who's going to be a CHCH sportscaster and weather guy for life, or probably. Uh, that's, Is that a good thing? Uh, well, <laughs> it's better than the alternative. Uh, that's You're Bubba right. O'Neill. You're right. You can catch him tonight <laughs> at 11. Thanks for the time, as always. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Scott. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.